Osiris. Hi, I'm Lara Bennett, and you're listening to Highway Butterfly, the stories of Neil Casal. Neil was a gifted singer, songwriter, musician, and friend to many. He released 14 albums as a solo artist and collaborated on countless projects with other musicians. After his passing in 2019, his friends and family created the Neil Casal Music Foundation to provide instruments and music lessons to students in New York and New Jersey and to support organizations that offer musicians mental health care. One of the featured projects of the newly formed foundation is the tribute album, Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Casal, a sprawling 41-song collection bringing together a galaxy of rock and roots luminaries. We've asked the contributing musicians to share their memories of Neil and their stories of making the record. Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Casal is out now. Purchase the album and learn more at neilcasalmusicfoundation.org. Hey, Jesse, how's it going? Hey, Laura, how are you? I'm good. Good to see you. You too. So, Jesse, you were obviously a member of Hardworking Americans alongside Neil, and you recorded an album with Neil, and your credit list is extremely long and impressive. So I wanted to know what came first, meeting Neil or hearing his music? Hearing his music came first, and then meeting him after. So it's kind of very cool in that way, just because I was a fan of his, and to meet him first of all and then to end up playing in a band with him was really really pretty unusual and magical and cool you know yeah that's really special so tell me more about hearing his music and how you became a fan I heard his music through my dad because at the time I was in middle school and I was really starting to dive into guitar electric guitar more and I was listening to a lot more sort of southern rock and you know Allman Brothers and all that, all the good classic, classic rock stuff. And my dad has always been a a big music lover and collector of music. And he brought Neil's first record to me and was like, I think you'd really like this guy. He, He reminds me of a lot of the stuff you're listening to. And that was sort of my introduction to to Neil's music. And then, you know, from that point on, I got into his other records and stuff. I feel like out of all of the records, for some reason, I maybe it was just like the timing of it. You know, you kind of go in waves as to like what you're listening to and whatnot. But like kind of later in, you know, early 20s, um, late teens, early 20s, I got into like the, his anthology record album that came out that had a thing. It like had a DVD with it, too, which like sometimes in the it was one of those one of those uh, CDs that had like the sold sort of like fold out tray. And it had a DVD on the other end. But um, yeah, I'll listen to that one quite a bit. That CD, I think, or the DVD is a rare collector's item. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I surely I've got, I've got to dig that up. It's got to be somewhere in my box of CDs. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun watch. So how did you come to meet him? I met Neil through another strange channel um, back when during the time of the, the early beginnings of social media with MySpace. Um, I had just put out an album, my first album, and I had, I guess I'd put it up on MySpace or something um, as well. Yeah, definitely. And then um, my friend, she's now a friend of mine, uh, Lex Armstrong, who was also a friend of Neil's, lives in London and was working for Universal Records. And um, she stumbled upon my music on MySpace and hit me up and she just, you know, was very complimentary and 
she said she wanted to pass it on to some of the people she knew at Universal. And then most of all, she said, I've got this friend, um, Neil Cassell, that I that I really want to share your music with. I think you guys are kind of kindred spirits. And she's like, and I, I want to pass his music on to you. And I told her right at that point, I'm like, well, I, I'm like, I already have his music. I know, I, I know who Neil is. I'm a fan. And, um, so she's like, well, I'll pass yours on to him. And so she did. And I ended up getting a, um, an email from, from him or it was a MySpace message. I don't, I can't remember, but exactly. But, um, he sent me a message and, uh, just was like, Jesse, like, man, Lex sent me your record and it's great. Like, this is really good stuff, you know, and gave me a bunch of compliments as well. And, you know, I was just starting out, just made my first record. And um, I was pretty insecure about a lot of that, a lot of things musically. And he really just hearing him say that meant the world to me and somebody that I looked up to. So it just really, really meant the world to me to get a letter like that. And he said, you know, like, man, it would be great to make some music together sometime. And of course, I wrote him back and thanked him and said, yeah, that would be, I'd love that. That'd be so, so cool. You know, and that was about as far as it went. Um, we didn't talk for years after, you know, I'm I'm not the best. I, you know, I didn't bug him or anything. And some years kind of went by. And uh, I mean, a, a good chunk of time. I don't know. It was probably five years or something. And he um, and then he was coming through town uh, with the Cardinals. And I guess just somehow remembered that I lived in Tulsa and hit me up out of the blue it's like, Jesse, what are you doing? I'm going to be in town early. We're playing at, at the, uh, it's now called the Tulsa Theater. Um, and uh, we should hang out. And so I hit him back and I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so went to, uh, they had their, bu- their bus parked outside the venue. And I showed up and knocked on the bus door. And uh, Ryan came to the door and was like, are you here for Neil? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, cool. He said, he'll be right out. So Neil ended up coming out and, you know, first time that was my first time to really meet him in person um had his camera with him and he was like let's drive around show me Tulsa and so I just drove him around showed him all the spots that I kind of liked so some of the weirder spots and you know knowing that he was into photography I'm like man if you're looking to get pictures and stuff then we need to uh take some some side roads so so we drove around we just talked music and art and talked Tulsa and um He's really interested in like the Tulsa music history. He was into a lot of a lot of the music that came out of here. And so we did that and then ended up talking about our love for for folk and British folk and and for vinyl. And I was in my early days of collecting records, so I had a decent collection, but it wasn't near what it is now. Um but uh I was like, Man, I live really close to the venue. You wanna come over and like scope my my collection and he's like yeah that sounds great so he came over to the house and he dug through records and was like oh man like pull one out like you have the sandy denny record oh this is the best or you know and then did that and ended up playing a little guitar and stuff and um it's funny because i was going through emails recently because i was i needed to find a photo he sent and and it was from that day, he took a photo of me at the house. And in that email, there was he sent me one right after. And I guess I 
I, I guess I'd sent him, I played him some new songs or something and I told him I was like going to demo some stuff. And so I, I guess I'd sent him some demos cause he wrote and was like, Jesse, like you got to record these songs. And so, you know, interaction happened. I went to see their show later that evening. and was, was blown away that, you know, that band was so, so good. And then, um, you know, and then this is, I'm just dragging this out, but this is the, this is like. This is an amazing story. So, um, and so then uh, I'm just kind of doing my thing in Tulsa. I'm putting a band together and I'm working with a friend of mine in Little Rock, Arkansas. And he tells me about this drummer he knows in Memphis. And he says, man, if you are looking for drummers and stuff, you guys should come to Little Rock and I'll have George meet meet in Little Rock too. You guys should just jam and like, I'll just hit record and we'll just, you guys just play. Um, and so we, me and my bass player, Eric drove to Little Rock and we met George Slepic and uh, we ended up playing and hit it off. And it was one of those things where we all really like felt like kindred spirits and, and um, we're like, we should do this again, maybe next month, you know, meeting Little Rock is kind of like a halfway point. And um, that was the plan, but it never happened because I got a call from George about a month later and he's like, Jesse, guess who I'm sitting with? And I'm like, who? He said, Neil Casal. I'm like, no way. He's like, yeah, I'm out here in California. He's like, I just tried out for the Chris Robinson Brotherhood and we're going to be playing in a band together. And I'm just like, no way. This is wild. And I guess like they were just talking about Tulsa or something. Somehow it came up and that's how they ended up calling me that day. And uh, I just thought that was really cool, like how these weird connections keep happening, you know. And so they just started playing with CRB and and I can't make this kind of stuff up, but I, I was like going, I remember the day because it was such an exciting day for, for me, but I had just gone to a vintage, a vintage shop in town and I was leaving. It was a beautiful day and I just started thinking about making a record I it just was like it just kind of hit me I'm like I I feel like it's time I should make a record it's and you know, I was just kind of thinking about it and I'm like who would I record with like who who would be like the ultimate crew and I was thinking like man George and Neil like that combo would be great and right at that moment I get a call from George out of nowhere and he's like hey what are you doing Tulsa and I was like man it's so weird you called. I was just thinking about you. And he's like, well, he's like, you want to make a record or, or do some shows or something? And he's like, we got some time off with the CRB. And I was like, dude, this is crazy. Like, it's meant to be because I was like, I was just thinking about making a record. And like, you and Neil both came up as like guys that I would love to record with. And I was like, do you think Neil would be down? And he's like, I'll ask him, you know, he's right here. So they talk and he's like, sure. And so they're like, if you can get us to Tulsa, we're down. So that's when I just said, I got fired up and I just started making calls. I'm like, you know, they were like, where could we record? And at the time, Leon Russell's old studio, the church studio in Tulsa had been kind of sitting there unused. Um, there was a guy that was like storing equipment in there. There was, so there was some gear. It was just not really hooked up. And, and so I was sort of making calls to see if we could get in the church because that's one thing Neil was, was really like sort of big on was it's like, we should do this record in Tulsa 
like that's more exciting to me. I want to, it's like, if it's, you're a Tulsa guy, we should make a, make the record in Tulsa. So, and the church would be like the spot because it's like such a legendary place. And so I got it all worked out and my friend Jason came, came over from Little Rock. He ended up bringing a bunch of his equipment to like, sort of like fill in all the gaps. And so they came to town and I think it was just, I mean, it was like a month later or something it, it, that we were recording. It it happened really fast. And we so we had like 10 days in the studio. And it was just one of those just really surreal, magical times. And, and it's weird. It's like growing up in Tulsa, it just feels very familiar. And it's like one of those things I think this happens to a lot of people. Like when you have visitors from out of town and they're experiencing where you live for the first time, it sort of like makes you experience where you live in a different way. And it's like, I almost felt like a visitor and in a lot of ways why they were here. And it was really kind of cool. And so, yeah, I mean, that was, that was really kind of the, that was how we met and sort of formed a a musical relationship. Um, That first time, in the studio that was the first time we actually played together and that's whenever we knew like oh man this was like we have we have a special kind of musical bond and and that's how some years after that is why I got the call to be in hardworking Americans was because all because of Neil he um they needed another guitar player <laughs> to play all his you know other parts and different things and so he thought to call me, which was, it really changed, changed the course of my life in, in a lot of ways and in a lot of amazing ways that I had, would have never have imagined. So, um, met a lot of great people because of it. So, yeah. Wow. That is a, an amazing story and journey from fan to friends to playing together. It's yeah. It seems like a dream come true. I'm sure. It was a dream come true. <laughs> Definitely. So, Jesse, you played Neil's song, The Losing End Again, from his 2009 album, Roots and Wings, at the Memorial Show at the Capitol, and then you recorded it for Highway Butterfly. So I wanted to take a quick second to have a listen to a clip of your version.
So Jesse, tell me why you chose this song. Well, I had I had a handful of songs that I was considering doing. And I think now it's like it's been a while. So I'm trying to remember kind of exactly how that happened. But I think that was one of the one of the songs. And, you know, I just since there was a lot of musicians involved in this cutting songs, I ran it by Gary, who is Neil's manager and kind of, you know, the head of who's making this happen currently. But um, he was like, you should do the losing in, you know, that this one, he's like, I, I think you should do this one. So it was just sort of a no brainer for me. And I've always loved that song. And it just, it, it worked like when I was going over stuff and like at home and you know, of course you can change keys to fit, you know, which is what I did with that to fit my vocal range. But um, it just felt like something, you know, when you're doing, when you're covering somebody's material, you want to do it justice and still make it feel like your own in a way. And that one just kind of felt very natural in that way. So it just, it made sense. And, have, and having done it at, you know, in New York at, at the benefit, it just seemed like the right thing to do. Yeah, well, it's a really beautiful, expansive version. Uh, what ideas about it did you bring to the recording session? Well, I guess just like kind of when we started, when we all got in the room together, I always like songs to kind of like bubble up. And I think the main thing was just like really kind of spacing out the intro and like create, like setting a, just setting a sort of vibe to sit in for a minute before the song comes in and that was really, you know, I didn't want to change that song up too much because its structure is great. And it's like, it has all those pop elements that Neil was so good at, you know? And so I didn't want to like distract from that too much, but I thought that, you know, it seems like something that he would have done the way that it kind of started. So it's, it wasn't far-fetched. I kind of, in a weird way, was thinking like, if Neil was going to re-record this song like what like what would he do and it's like he would just take his time getting into this and it just naturally naturally all kind of fell into place it wasn't even really something that we talked much about it was just like let's just sort of like get into this thing a little bit and then you know and that was the main I guess the main uh change in the tune as far as arrangement goes well for comparison's sake let's take a quick listen to Neil's version We begin, but we're on the 
Um, if I remember correctly, John Graboff played on the song originally, and he adds that like super cool extended yeah. uh, pedal steel part in your song. Um, do you remember who else contributed to your version? Yeah. Um, so it was was Dave Schools was on bass, and so that was really special just to get back in musical situation with him. And um, and then uh, Adam McDougal played a beautiful piano part in B3 and Tony Leone on drums, making the magic. And then um, Aaron Lee Tajden was there because we had cut his Neil song. And so he was hanging out that day. So it made sense to have him play guitar and then engrave off. So that was the that was the crew. And then I and then um, Lauren Barth sang uh, background vocals on it. So it was a, so- a really solid crew. Yeah, it's a great crew. And and that was pretty early on in the sessions, right? Like right around the beginning? Um, It was like, I think the second chapter of, of it kind of, I guess if you look at it that way. Um, there was an earlier session that I wasn't out there for. And then this was the second one. And it was, I, and it was a very, it was a, it was a very weird time because I had been in New York, like just a couple weeks before believe and then and then I flew right out to LA to uh to do that session and it's like at that time it was like right when the first case of COVID had like hit in the U.S. and everyone was still kind of like wondering what this thing was and once I got out to LA I mean it was full on like just things were going it was going crazy and uh everyone was just in a weird i mean it it was a strange experience because it's like i'm so glad in a way that we were all there together because it was kind of this like weird scary time right when that first when it first hit and everyone's sort of unsure is like what's the future hold what is all this and you know it's like in a way we had this refuge because we're all like gathered this like really amazing group of people are all gathered in this space together and we're all like there honoring our friend and like throughout all this like craziness that's going on out in the outside world we're all in this space making music and and doing doing something beautiful together and so it was really just like a strange time to be there and um I remember the session actually got cut short slightly because because of it because there was other there were there were other artists that were supposed to fly in that just couldn't get there and so while I was there we we did a bunch I mean Marcus King came in and and Krasno and Aaron Lee there was I'd have to think about that there was there was a good chunk of of folks that came through um while I was there but it was a it was a trip because uh once once I got cut short I was like I probably need to get out of here too or else like I mean flights were getting canceled things were getting weird and that was the weirdest sight going through Hollywood and Cal- like all of like the heart of LA on the way to the airport and just not seeing a, a soul on the streets or a car I mean it was just just deserted and then getting to the airport which is usually like a crazy busy airport and there was just like you know 10 people in the security line and then getting on an airplane and like it circling kind of back around over the city and looking down and just seeing empty beaches no cars no people it was this very surreal scene 
you know. Just remember that I I saw you play with Farmer Dave in Wizards of the West, like literally the night before. Um, <laughs> That's Los right. Angeles, like shut down, and I'm glad. Uh, yeah, everyone was safe and got out of there okay. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a fun night. That, I'm glad we had that because that was probably the last night we all played a live show for for a while. Yeah, that was a necessary last hurrah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. Uh, it sounds like you got you were there for you know in the nick of time, and you got to you know record your song at Pliers um, before things got out of hand. So that's pretty great and that you were able to record on all those other great songs too yeah it was really really something that uh i felt felt fortunate to be part of i mean it's unfortunate the events that brought us all together um but that's that's how life is sometimes you know and so may try to make something at least beautiful and meaningful out of something that tragic you know so totally so, Jesse, do you have any uh, tour stories of being on the road with Neil? Anything uh, funny or interesting that comes to mind? Well, Neil, I mean, Neil was always like the sort of light, light in the band, you know, like anytime he's one of those guys that like anytime he walked on the bus, he lit it up. I mean, he just had that presence to where it's like Neil's here. It's like just like the he's like the the brother that you always that, you know, it just I don't, he just lifted things and, and it's just like a gift. I don't know. It's just the way, the way he was. And so, I mean, we were always cracking up with, with, with Neil and it's like Dwayne and, and him and I really kind of had a, a tight bond. Uh, we were just super into, um, Neil kind of got us into it. I mean, and, and everybody really was, but we had these inside jokes and stuff because it's like once you're when you're just like on a bus that long hanging out, it just happens. But but he had he turned us on to Tim and Eric's uh, stuff. He was obsessed with it, and so like every morning, it's like you know sometimes I would just hear like a weird Tim and Eric skit like from outside my bunk curtain. And like, I would like slowly pull the curtain back and like Neil would just be like standing there holding his phone up there and just like, we just start cracking up. And so we had this whole like ongoing thing with obsession with, with Tim and Eric. And um, one of the nights that I really just, I don't know, it just sticks out to me and I hold it dearly because it just felt, it, it's one of those nights that just feels like you're a kid again. Uh, and, 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 um, we had finished a show and we were all hanging out on the bus and it was going to be parked wherever we were for a while before it actually took off. And the uh, Led Zeppelin was currently putting out like all their new, uh, putting out all the like remastered records that sounded really great. And we were all like kind of wanting to hear what they sounded like and, and listen, listen to them all. And so we were just talking about it and we, you know, a lot of times we would listen to music on the bus. It was a very, um, you know, it was a something that happened very often, but, um, this night we were like, let's listen to the Zeppelin masters. And it turned in from like listening to one record to like, let's just listen to the whole catalog of Zeppelin records front to back. And so, we're up there and we're all getting into it so much. And Neil especially is like bringing it out because it's like, he would just jump up when like 
it would kick into like a guitar solo and just like start air guitar playing along and singing along. And so then next thing we know, we're all kind of like doing that in a way. And it's just like, it was very just childlike and playful. And we were just cracking up and having such a good time diving into this, these records and just like going, going deep into them and just getting super wound up. And, um, I don't know. There, I don't. There, I don't know why that night in particular sticks out, but it just really does as something that was like such a. It felt like a very, like bonding experience um, for everyone, and uh, I don't know, just playful and fun and light. Yeah, that's a great. All right. Okay, Jesse, do you have any other stories or anything you want to share about Neil or the Highway Butterfly Sessions? Well, I just, I mean, the only other thing I would say is just that, uh, you know, Highway Butterfly is doing things to help, you know, with kids and, and bringing instruments to schools, but also help with like awareness for mental health and all that stuff. I feel like I should also just talk a little bit about just how the effects of of, of losing a friend to suicide is you know, it's something very challenging and, and it's something that, you know, it's, it's been, it's, it's something that, you know, I'm still working out personally in a lot of ways, but I have done a lot. Um, and I guess it's just that someone being someone that has struggled with depression in the past, it's, you know, after, after like these last few years with loss and with just being in a world that's kind of difficult, you know, it's been very challenging and everything. It's like, I really like developed a lot of depression and, and major anxiety. And, um, and I had never really had anxiety struggles in my past. And so that was kind of a new one. And, it really gave me like a firsthand insight as to what that feels like and what maybe Neil was dealing with in a way. And, and it's, it, it was, I'm glad I, even though it's no fun, I'm glad I went through some of that in a very hard way, just because I feel like I can now relate more to like friends of mine that have, been, and have dealt with anxiety um, and depression and, and stuff because I, like I said, I have, I could kind of relate to the depression side of things, but I, anxiety was new to me. And I, and then unless you've really experienced that, you don't, you just don't fully know how crippling and how tough that is. And so trying to be empathetic towards friends that have had anxiety issues, there's only so much I could do as far as relating. Cause I'm just thinking like, well, that sounds really rough. Like I, you know, can you just take a walk or do the, you know, whatever, which isn't a bad idea <laughs> either, but it's, um, but it's just different when it's a different thing. And I, I just have a better understanding of it. But um, I also, you know, I went, I decided to go to therapy and I decided to get back on antidepressants. <laughs> and it's like one of those things where I think, it's a stigma sometimes for some reason to go on antidepressants or to go to therapy. And I don't, it shouldn't be that way at all because I think, I think for one therapy is beneficial to everyone. It should just be like built into our society um, in a sense. And then, 
you know, an antidepressants, not everyone needs to be on them, but I, I feel like they are, I mean, uh, sometimes a matter between life and death really. And, um, I, it's sometimes when, you know, if you get, if you get into a dark spot and it's just like, and it takes you over, it's just, you can't get out of it on your own. And there's even with therapy, it's just, that can only go so far at work only to a certain degree when it's like, when it's too heavy or that the chemical imbalance is too off or whatever it is. And so just like somebody would take, you know, if you have like migraines that you're suffering from and they're crippling, most people don't hesitate to take some kind of medication that would, would help the migraine uh, symptoms ease up. And so I think with depression and anxiety and stuff, it's like kind of the same thing. And, and it's like, try to look at it that way as far as like, I wouldn't hesitate to take this if I was suffering, but if, you know, and so I think with depression and everything, it's like sometimes you need some help through medication in order to even get past it enough to work on yourself and work in any way. And so, and I'm not saying it's not like a cure-all. It doesn't always, you know, it's not like it's just medication solves everything or whatever, but it definitely helps. And it helped it per- personally, it helped me. Um, so I, I, it's just one of those things that I just hope that um, it's hard when you're in a dark place to even like have the energy sometimes to, uh, to take any step to do that and to help yourself or do anything like that. But um, I just, hope that that people are able to um to do so when they are in a in a place like that reach out or even like if you or even if you feel like you can't do it on your own just at least have have someone that you can lean on that would be able to help you uh help yourself that could kind of take on some of that and um so i don't know i just think i i think that um it's a lot of um, the tragedies and loss that, that happens could be avoided sometimes if the proper care was taken. You know, so I just hope that that is something that, that becomes more of just a accepted, you know, thing in this country. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think just as we open up and are, you know, honor, honest about our vulnerabilities, like that's what, that's how we destigmatize this. And everyone, you know, has struggles. So if we're, if we're able to talk about them, that's just going to like increase the conversations around it and hopefully, um, yeah, make it easier. And, you know, when you're in that dark space, um, able to like realize that other people have gone through this and they've been able to talk about it and get help. And that means, you can too. So that's a really big part of that process. So thank you. Yeah. All right, Jesse, anything else you want to share? Just uh, peace and love. (laughs) All right. Well, um, I'm glad to hear that um, you're taking care of yourself. Keep on doing it. Will do. It's very good to talk with you, Laura. You too. This podcast is brought to you by Backline, the music industry's mental health and wellness resource hub. Launched in 2019, Backline gives artists, crews, and their families quick and easy access to mental health and wellness resources. Backline provides individuals with case management and offers virtual support groups as well as yoga, meditation, and breath work. To donate, learn more, 
or get in touch for personalized care, visit backline.care. That's B-A-C-K-L-I-N-E dot C-A-R-E. Highway Butterfly, The Songs of Neil Casal is out now. Purchase the album and learn more at neilcasalmusicfoundation.org. Osiris. Oh,